Can you believe it's Christmas Day? <laughs> I wonder how many of us said that today or thought that today. You know, can, I, can you believe it's already Christmas Day again, you know, 2019? Well, I know that at least some of you can. I <laughs> uh, can imagine that because you've been looking forward to this day with so much anticipation. I know many people get so excited around about this time of year, just waiting for, you know, all the lights and the decorations and all of that. And um, some of us are just glad because we can take a break from work. That's me. Amen. All right. And because we can enjoy, enjoy time with our families. Um, but whatever reason, you know, many people look forward to this day of the year. Now, if you've been in any mainstream store since November, <laughs> you know, you know that they've been looking forward to Christmas, haven't they? And I know all of you have been there. All right. <laughs> it's just amazing how quickly these people are able to set up all of their decorations, you know, and just all of a sudden, I mean, you will, you will walk into pick and pay one day, everything looks normal, the next day, Christmas. <laughs> and it's November, all right. Um, my wife and kids also get very excited about Christmas and decorating, you know. Um, I went to work one day in November this year, and everything was normal in my house. Everything was normal. <laughs> and when I came back <laughs> after work, we had a Christmas tree with lights and decorations. We had um, lights in the windowsill, and it looked very festive, you know. And, the, of course, the kids also love it, you know. They, they love all of that. Now, Christmas has actually b- become some sort of a cultural phenomenon, hasn't it, you know, over the, I want to say, the centuries. Uh, on the one hand, you have these people that are very excited about it, and then they decorate their houses, and they exchange gifts, you know, and all the, I want to say, all the traditional things that we do. You know, they do that, and they get into that type of thing, and that's fine. And then on the other hand, you have people that actually really resent the fact that people are celebrating Christmas. They hate everything about it, and they then try to rip the entire thing apart. For example, around about this time of year, and I'm sure some of you have gotten some of these messages, but a lot of messages get sent between people, you know, um, telling us that Christ was not really born on the 25th of December, uh, but probably somewhere in September, and we are all fools for thinking that he was born on the 25th of December. Yeah, (laughs) you know what? It's actually true. Christ was not born on the 25th of December. That at least we know. The best date that we can get for the birth of Christ is somewhere around September. Okay, that's the best we can do, but we don't know for sure. It was not written up. You know, they, they didn't do it the way that we do these days, you know, with the registration of the baby and, and so on on the specific date. And you know what? The exact date for his birth is not all that important at all. Um, now, of course, it would have been nice to know what the actual date was, and it would be interesting, and and we can look at that, but it's just not that important. It's not. What is important is something that I hear many people say this time of year, is that we should not lose sight of why we are actually celebrating uh, this day in the first place, even if it is not the correct date of of Jesus' birth. If you ask the average person on the street uh, what Christmas is really about, you may get answers such as, well, it's about peace, it's about joy, it's about love, it's about goodwill. And if you were to believe Hollywood, (laughs) you would think that this is some magical time in in, which anything can literally happen, which is, of course, not true. Sorry to burst your bubble, those that watch all these Christmas movies. But... (laughs) 
Around about this time of year, Christians all around the world would celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Some people actually celebrate it on the 24th of December. Some, like us today, we celebrate it on the 25th of December. And then there are others that actually celebrate it on the 7th of January. Um, And some choose not to celebrate it at all, which is fine. There's, There's no problem in that. There's nothing in the Bible that prescribes that we should be celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior. Now, the word incarnation means, for, for those that aren't aware, it means the act of being made flesh. So we are celebrating the fact that God was manifest in the flesh so many years ago. Now you may or may not be aware of this, but the, the coming of the Lord Jesus was actually prophesied hundreds of years before this actually happened. And not only was his coming prophesied, but also the events surrounding his coming was prophesied. Um, how he would live was also prophesied. And what the things that he would do while he was here on earth in his ministry, that was all prophesied. And so I think that it would be profitable for us today to look at some of these prophecies. Now, I must say that we can by no means look at every single prophecy in Scripture um, that there is about Jesus. We can't look at them all. We can't look at any of them in detail because there are just so many. We have so much richness in the scriptures about this. But we can at least look at a few, starting at the very first promise of his coming. But before we do that, let's let's just bow our heads and pray. (coughs) Sorry. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we can be together here today. Lord, that we can focus our eyes on you that we can remember that you were sent for us. Oh, and what a glorious, glorious truth that is, Lord. Lord, we ask that you will please guide us in this uh, service. Lord, may your name be glorified. Will you please keep on working in our hearts, Lord. And we thank you for being with us today. Amen. Amen. Sorry, let me just get a drink here. Now, way back in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, um, you know, by eating the fruit of that one tree, that one tree that they were not supposed to eat from, right after that, the Lord came. They hid themselves, and the Lord came, and he asked them what they have done. And Adam was quick to point a finger to Eve and said, well, this woman that that you gave me, she uh, made me eat of this fruit. And then Eve pointed a finger at the serpent saying, well, this serpent tricked me into eating this fruit. You know, we always do the blame game. We still do it to this day. Thousands of years after this, we still do this. But now in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, you will find the curse that was proclaimed by God over, over the women because of, of the fall of man. And from verse 17 to 19, we, we find the curse that was proclaimed on man and on the, on the ground and so on because of mankind's sin. But in Genesis 3 and verse 14, the Lord turned to the serpent, which, which is Satan for those that aren't aware, and, and he placed a curse on him by saying the following. Genesis 3 and verse 14 says, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So that's a specific curse on the creature, the snake, 
the snake creature. So he probably had legs because the part of the curse is you will slither around on your belly. And then he says the following. <clears throat> God, God puts this in here. He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, it's, it's amazing to see it right here, is that in the passage where the curse is proclaimed on all of mankind and all of creation because of the fall of man, God provides a beacon of hope right there. You know, that, that's the prophecy there. The, the women's offspring, God said, will one day uh, defeat the serpent. Now, we will look into the fulfillment of this prophecy a little later, but for now, it is important to know that the serpent is Satan, and Jesus is that offspring, that, that seed of the woman that will finally bruise Satan's head. And so with that, mankind was first introduced to God's plan of a savior coming to defeat the enemy. Now, of course, this is not a clear picture. It, it doesn't tell us anything about what Christ will be like or what he will do and so on. Um, but it does give us a first peek into the redemption plan of God. Now, in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, we read how Moses prophesied about the Messiah coming. And he said the following, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. So he says, from the midst of thee, so he will rise up uh, or raise up a prophet among the people of the, the Jews. He says, of thy brethren. And he said, like unto me. So this prophet will be like Moses in some way. Unto him ye shall hearken. So you will listen to him. So the prophecy is that God will raise up a prophet like unto Moses. Now this prophet, prophecy is interpreted in Scripture for us. Um, and it is interpreted to be a reference to the coming Messiah who would be just like Moses in that he would have face-to-face -face conversations with God and that he would uh, hear directly from him, and that he would lead his people. And it, ex it happened exactly like that. God, uh, Jesus had face-to-face -face conversations with God. Now, for instance, um, uh, one place that we see that in the Old Testament is in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10. Uh, now I know I'm rattling off a bunch of Scripture references, so I, I, I hope you're taking notes. If not, and you want them, you're welcome to take them from me. But in there we read that since Moses died, uh, there was not another prophet like him in the land of Israel. Not one. And so the people of Israel waited for this prophet to rise up. Since they knew that God is always faithful in keeping his word. Always. Always. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter then identifies Jesus as that prophet. And the same in Acts chapter 7, Stephen um, actually identifies Jesus as that prophet that Moses said, uh, that Moses spoke about. And in John chapter 1 and verse 45, uh, we also read an interesting encounter. We read how Jesus called Philip to follow him. And then Philip ran, he was excited, he ran to Nathaniel um, and to tell him that he has found this long-awaited Messiah. And in his, wor his words, in uh, John 1 verse 45 was, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's excited. He says, we have found him, finally. You know, he 
He was excited about this because they've been waiting for this Messiah to come for hundreds of years. Hundreds and hundreds of years. Now with today being Christmas Day, um, I think it would be worthwhile to look at, look at some of the prophecies that specifically deal with Jesus' birth and, and, and the fulfillment thereof. So with that said, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have a stack of them there at the back table. You're welcome to take one. I should say to borrow one. Matthew chapter 1. Now this is the first fulfilled prophecy of Jesus' birth. And I think it's probably one of the best known prophecies in the Bible actually. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 talking about the birth of Jesus, and then verse 22, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Matthew is quoting from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 here, and his point is, that that prophecy that Isaiah made 700 years before this actually happened was perfectly fulfilled to the T. You know, at the time, Mary was still an unmarried virgin since she was only engaged to be married with Joseph. And she conceived when she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And so this virgin was with child, like the prophecy says. And then Jesus was literally God manifest in the flesh. He is God with us, as the name Emmanuel uh, tells us. You know, this goes along with what we read about in, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, where John writes that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Folks, God was manifest in the flesh. He looked just like one of us. He walked just like us. He talked just like us. Well, maybe better than us. He, he got tired. He had, he had to eat and he had to drink. He had to take a rest. Um, he had the full human experience. And the Bible also tells us that he was tempted, just like you and I are tempted to sin. Now, after Jesus was born, we read about the wise men that came from the east, and that's well known. They came from the east to Jerusalem to Jerusalem, and when they arrived there, they started to ask, you know, where is this king of the Jews? Because they saw his star rising in the east, and they came to worship him. Now, when Herod, who was the king at that time, um, heard this, uh, that, that somebody is looking for another king that was just born, he got worried, because he was worried that he might start to lose his kingdom. You know, this is a political thing here. So he gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes and, and he demanded to know from them, you know, where would this Messiah be born? Where would this King of the Jews be born, he said. And the priests and the scribes then quoted from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And we read about that in Matthew chapter 2. So you've got Matthew there. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 5. <clears throat> you can see there, if you just let your eyes glance to verse 4, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. <coughs> Sorry. 
So this pinpointed the exact birthplace of the Messiah as the uh, um, Bethlehem in the region of Judah. Folks, this prophecy was written hundreds of years before Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem in Judah. Hundreds of years. That's simply amazing. Now, Herod asked the wise men to go to find this king that was born and under the pretense that he wanted to go and, and, and honor him. But the wise men didn't trust Herod, and they were smart in, in not trusting him. So after they left uh, where they found Jesus, they went home with another road. You know, they didn't go through Jerusalem again so that they could avoid Herod. And this made Herod very angry. Man, he was angry. So he, he did something terrible. He ordered that all the young boys of the age two years and younger should be killed in Bethlehem and, and the regions around there. He was, of course, hoping to kill Jesus um, along with them, since he didn't know where this king actually was. But the angel of the Lord came and he, uh, he warned Joseph in a dream that, that Herod was going to come and try to kill Jesus. And he instructed Joseph to flee with him to Egypt. So Joseph obeyed the Lord's messenger, so he took his family and he fled to Egypt. And this then fulfilled two more prophecies. Uh, we find the first prophecy that was fulfilled here in Matthew um, chapter 2 and verse 14. Look there at verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there un until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now this prophecy you can find in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. It's actually the, the last part of a sentence in Hosea 11 and verse 1. And the second part of this prophecy was fulfilled with the slaughtering of these young children, these young boys. And we read about that here in verse 17, Matthew 2 and verse 17. So after this happened, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, Jeremy is Jeremiah, in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. So he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15 here. Now, folks, these are just a few of the prophecies about the birth of the Messiah that we find in Matthew. Um, but just in this first two chapters, you know, we didn't even look at the genealogy. That's amazing the way that that fits together and how that was prophesied. But this first two chapters of, in this first two chapters of Matthew, we already saw that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem in the region of Judah, that he would come out of Egypt in some way and for some reason. We didn't get that exactly from the prophecy, why that would happen, but we did get it would happen. And we got that the mothers of the region of Bethlehem would weep for their children without being comforted because their children were dead. All of these prophecies, folks, I want you to notice, all of them are very specific. They're not vague like, like some of these prophecies that these so-called psychics make. They, they're very, very specific. All of these prophecies uh, were prophesied hundreds of years before it happened by prophets that God already validated. It, wa it wasn't just some fly-by-night guy. 
God already proved that this guy is a prophet that I sent, and, and so they made these prophecies, so that we could know that this Jesus is the chosen one sent from God. That he is the Messiah that was promised all along. And also so that we could know that he was not some kind of false Christ that just wanted to gather a following to, you know, for his own benefit. Because there were people like that back then um, that said that, well, I am the Messiah. And we find people like that today as well. You know, there are people walking around on this earth saying, I am Jesus. And yeah, we won't get into that today. Now, the prophecies surrounding Jesus' birth is amazing enough. Uh, but we also have other prophecies that were perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And I will just list some of them because, like I said earlier, there are many, many, I didn't count them, but there are so many prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. But one of these prophecies can be found in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. And we read there that God will send a messenger to prepare the way before the Lord. Now, folks, this prophecy was perfectly fulfilled. If you, if you know the gospel story, it was fulfilled by John the Baptist, who baptized people, uh, as Mark says in Mark chapter 1, with the baptism of repentance and for the remission of sins. And John would then finally announce that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Folks, that's spot on. Spot on. Another fulfilled prophecy is one that we find in Isaiah chapter 35, uh, verses 5 to 6. And that talks about the Messiah opening the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf, and that he would heal the lame man and he would make the dumb to speak. You know, those that can't speak, he would make them to speak. And Jesus, as we all know, and I think all the heathen know that, anybody that, that, anybody that knows anything about Jesus knows that he performed these miracles constantly constantly during his ministry. And then there was the time that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of a colt. Now, a colt is a, is a foal of a donkey. It's a baby donkey, okay? And the people were cheering and they were praising him while this was happening. We refer to that as the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we read about that in Matthew chapter 21. And that event was perfectly fulfilling a prophecy that we find in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, which says the following, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly what happened. Folks, I can keep on listing off prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that was fulfilled by Jesus and, and the, surrounding thing, the things surrounding him. But the point that I want to make today is that these prophecies were not just some vague sayings by some soothsayers or, or lucky guesses by false prophets. They were precise predictions made by God Almighty. And it shows us that he has perfect knowledge of the past, of the present, and of the future. And it also shows us that he is absolutely trustworthy. When he says something, then we can know that he is speaking the truth. And it is also because of these many, many, many fulfilled prophecies that's one of the reasons that we can know that we can actually trust the Bible. 
That's a very practical thing. You know, this book, folks, is something else. Uh, it is not something that was manufactured by men. Now, okay, sure, God did use men to actually write down the words um, that he wanted them to because he is the author. He, uh, they were just basically acting like secretaries, you know, jotting down exactly what he wanted them to write. And it, that is just simply amazing because this book was written over thousands of years by many different authors from many different walks of life, all through the spectrum. And it's all consistent. It doesn't contradict itself. It's consistent. Now, I think a good question at this point would be, uh, why did these things happen? You know, I get it. We've got the prophecies. They were exactly fulfilled. But it doesn't tell us why. It, it, none of them that we looked at tells us why. And I think that's a great question. Uh, why are we celebrating the incarnation of Jesus? Why are we here today? Why is it necessary to know about these prophecies and the events that happened thousands of years ago? I mean, what bearing does that have on my life? Well, folks, there is actually a very specific purpose to this. You see, the incarnation of Jesus is the biggest miracle, I think, to ever take place. The biggest one. Because... We're putting God in human flesh. And it happened for a very specific reason. You know, when most people think about Jesus, they, they basically rate him at the same level as somebody like Confucius or Buddha or Mahatma Gandhi or, or one of these guys. They, they basically think that he's a, just a very good man that, that helped a lot of people and that he had some wise sayings. That's basically the idea that people have of him. But folks, that's not the full picture of who he is. Was he a good man? Oh yes, he was the best. The best. Did he help a lot of people? Yes, for sure, he did help a lot of people. He helped countless people. Uh, did he have wise sayings? Oh yes, he did. Some very wise saying. That's the wisdom of God. But folks, there is more to him. There's so much more. I said this before. But folks, he is God manifest in the flesh. He is the only begotten Son of the Father. He is the creator of the universe. And He was on a mission. He was motivated by the greatest love that man has ever experienced. You see, folks, we have a problem. And when I say we, I mean every individual that is in this room um, without Him. You know, the problem is this. We have sinned against God. We have. And the Bible tells us that, that our sin, that means any sin of ours, is enough of a transgression for God to send us to a lake of fire and brimstone for all of eternity. That's the truth of Scripture. And folks, we would deserve it. We would. It does not matter if you think that your sin was just a small sin or a big sin or whatever, Folks, it's a matter of justice. And there is no escape from this lake of fire. Um, I know some people hope there will be. I, I, I realize some churches teach that there is some hope of you know, getting some punishment for a little while and then you can go to heaven. The Bible does not say that. It honestly does not. Folks, there is no hope of ever being relieved of that lake of fire's torments. There will be no grace extended to you when you are there. 
and there will no provision be made for something like parole. You know, you don't get out for good behavior. There is no exit. And that is why it was necessary for Jesus to be born as a man. You see, he lived the perfect life here on earth by not sinning even once. I said earlier he was tempted just like you and I are tempted, but he was without sin. He was completely innocent. But he willingly came to this place, humbling himself to come in the, in the form of a man. The Bible tells us in, in the book of Hebrews that he was made a little lower than the angels because that, that's where we rank if you want to rank us. We've got man, we've got the angels, we've got God way up there. Um, he made himself a little lower than the angels for a little while so that he could die a horrible death on the cross on your and my behalf. Because we are not able to pay for our own sins. And he, he does not want us to end up in, in that lake of fire. Even though His justice demands that we should, He doesn't want that for us. He's, he, he's full of love for mankind. And so, He came. He was born, like we're celebrating today. And He lived the perfect life. And He finally died on that cross. Uh, and he was resurrected again three days later, defeating death and, and finally bruising the head of the serpent. You remember the prophecy from way back in Genesis 3? He finally fulfilled that prophecy, bruising the head of the serpent, just like it was promised many years ago in the Garden of Eden. And now he made salvation available to anyone who would receive him by repenting and putting their faith and trust in Jesus alone. In the fact that He died for your sin and that He rose again from the dead. That's the only way, folks. That is the gospel message. And that is why we are celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior that has been promised to us since the beginning since the very beginning and he will save you today if you are not saved if you will put your faith and your trust in him alone and so i beg of you today if you are not saved please come to christ please come to christ he's made this freely available to you and for those of us that are saved here today let's let's be joyous today let's let's be glad you know, our Savior came into this world about 2,000 years ago and He was made an offering for our sins so that we can be set free. That's the love of God, folks. That is the love of God. And He rose again from the dead so that He may be glorified forever and ever. Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh Lord Jesus, thank You so much. That your Bible is, is so rich, Lord. Your word is just so rich. Not just in teachings, Lord. Not just in the do's and the don'ts. But even telling us what will happen in the future. Lord. You, you told us that you will be coming. You told us how you would come. You told us what you would do when you're here. Lord, and you told us what will happen to those that don't... Um, have their faith and trust in you, to those that are not saved. And it's for those people that I pray today, Lord. Oh, Father, will you please prick their hearts today? 
And will you please show them that you are the true living God. Will you please let them run to you, Lord. Lord, we praise your name. We praise you so much for, for coming. And we thank you, Lord, for coming to save us. Because we were without hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Will you please keep on working in our hearts. Please bless the fellowship that we are planning to have today, Lord. And Lord, um, will you make us more like Christ. We praise your name, Lord. Amen.